0: From the recording studios of Reconstructing Judaism, welcome to Evolve, Groundbreaking Jewish Conversations.
1: The ability to get stuck in, here's everything that's wrong with the world, here's what's happening to my planet, those are all really heavy, just like shoulder-sagging things to talk about. And the thing that saves us time and time again, is our calendar, is our tradition, and that interplay between seeing the horrors of the world with a bright future that we're dreaming of and working towards together, that's what saves us.
0: I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman. We have a great show for you today. Our guest is Rabbi Ariana Katz, and we'll be discussing her essay, Here We Are, Congregation Planting in Baltimore. In case you missed our last show, we had a fascinating conversation with Rabbi Rachel Weiss about her essay, 21st Century Judaism. It was a really great conversation about Jewish communities today, so be sure to give that a listen. As a reminder, All of these essays discussed on the show are available to read for free on the Evolve website, evolve.reconstructingjudaism.org. If you're enjoying the show, please take just a minute to give us a five-star rating or leave a review on whatever podcast app you're using. The ratings really help people find out about the show. All right, without further ado, I'm pleased to welcome my colleague and friend, Rabbi Ariana Katz who is a 2018 graduate of the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College and founding rabbi of Hinenu, the Baltimore Justice Shtiebel. We'll be speaking about her essay, Here We Are, Congregation Planting in Baltimore. So for a little context, Hinenu means we are here in Hebrew. It's the plural of Hineni, which is said at key points throughout the Torah by Abraham, Moses, and other biblical figures usually as a response to God's call. Shtibel, on the other hand, means little house in Yiddish. It evokes an old-world, hyper-local, and informal approach to Jewish community, and the kind of image stands in sharp contrast to the more formalized structures of the suburban synagogue, which proliferate in the United States in the 1950s and 60s, and still really shape the Jewish uh, landscape today. Welcome, Rabbi Katz.
1: Hey Brian, I'm glad to be
0: here. Thanks so much. So this is this is great. It's our uh, our second conversation focusing on uh, Jewish community, and and last time we spoke with um, your colleague Rabbi Rachel Weiss um, talking about re-energizing uh, a Reconstructionist affiliate and an established congregation. Now we're we're going to be talking about building Jewish community from from the ground up. So so I'm excited. So we're here to talk about Hinenu, the Baltimore Justice Stiebel. Did I did I get Stiebel right?
1: Yeah, you rocked it.
0: All right. Um so first I'm wondering, just to give the listeners a better sense, can you can you give us a a, a sketch of, of um of the of the Baltimore Justice Steeple, what it is, who's attending it, maybe a little bit how it's how it's like a congregation, how it's different?
1: Sure. So I guess last year, someone in the congregation said to me, oh, well, this isn't your Bubby synagogue. And I stopped him in his tracks and I said, okay, well, that's not true because one, I love Bubbies and we have a lot of Bubbies at Hinenu and Bubbies are dope. And two, we're actually doing something that's a very old model. Um, building a synagogue that's also a community center is pretty much as old school, classic, traditional as it comes. We are doing it. Um, with a contemporary flavor and analysis and culture. But at the core of it, we're making a synagogue. And if we try to say differently, we're either burying the lead or fooling ourselves. Like we are doing a really classic project of making a synagogue. So Ninenu convenes this year. Now we come together for three Shabbatot a month. We have two Shabbat mornings and one Friday evening service. We have an Intro to Judaism class called Diving into Judaism. Um, We vegetarian potluck after every service. So we're very much in the the vein of the Kavarot and Reconstructionist congregations in that way and are continuing to be plugged in to organizing and mobilization. Um, I would say about half of our members are involved in two or more civic organizations in Baltimore City. And so... Thinking about the, the justice work of our congregation is a real priority. It's infused both in our activism and it's infused in, um, in our prayer life. Um, our membership it ranges from eight days old to 80 years old. And the, the multi-generational element of our shul, I think, is a piece that sometimes when talking about emergent communities, we're supposed to bury there's this fascination with millennials and Gen Z and how do we center youth? And from the very outset, um, the idea of a singularly generational Jewish community was something that I was not interested in and our members weren't interested in because to have Jewish community is to have um, people of every life stage together. So um, hopefully from some of the things I describe, it is a regular shul um, and we are very much in our our forming years.
0: Why did you choose Baltimore? Why was this the the place for for this experiment, this journey, whatever, however we wanna describe it?
1: Baltimore, um, because it has a really rich Jewish biome of Jewish communities of every denomination and orientation. And um, because the need for a Jewish community that was centering um, more left political um, Jewish analysis with um, energetic practice um, was another addition to the community here. Um, Baltimore, because it's close personally to where all my family lives and where all my family is buried. My partner ever is from Howard County, which is right outside of Baltimore, and has a really big love for especially Baltimore sports teams, despite some of their better judgment when it comes to the Orioles. But we're trying. Um, and because it's a East Coast city that has a vibrant Jewish community, but needed um, a, a hub for some of the, but needed a, a hub for especially LGBTQ Jews, especially for multi-faith families, um, for Jews of color, for people with disabilities to um convene and be centered?
0: On the on the Evolve uh, platform, um there there are a bunch of other articles, uh, particularly under under the headline of 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 race in the Jewish community that challenge the idea of 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 the Ashkenazic centric view of, of Judaism uh and and Jewish life. So just I'm curious, um, with, with that in mind, if there was any reticence to um, to use to use a Yiddish term, which 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 obviously is, is Ashkenazic and and kind of really harkens back to the the Eastern European shtetl conception of, of Judaism.
1: Yes, I love this question. I love. All
0: right, this that's um, that's why I'm here.
1: For many people, the use of Yiddish is a part of a continuing or rediscovering of a personal or cultural legacy that has existed for a long period of time. And there's like a length and depth of history and culture that has been lost through modernity that has been um, reduced from a entire civilization into things that are slogans on SNL. Um, and so a piece of that work around Yiddishkeit is um, actually, rediscovering an entire history that was lost because of the Shoah, that was sort of flattened in some ways from the period of '48 on, um, when Jewish attention really recentered and focused around Israel and Israeli culture. The concept of Ashkenormativity is one that says that all Jewish experiences harken back to the Pale Settlement; that all Jews now have an affinity for gefilte fish; all Jews are white all Jews have a biological and emotional connection to Eastern Europe. And the use of Yiddish, as you pointed out, is a real question, because a priority for Hinenu is to be a space where um, we are a multi-ethnic community of Jews, and that it is not just an Ashken normativative space. The use of Yiddish doesn't need to disappear, but in order to build multi-ethnic Jewish space, we have to use all of our tools and make space for all of our tools to be used authentically. You know, you can hear in my voice, like it's fraught, because for me personally, Yiddishkeit has been a liberatory discovery. And it has been a thing that has closed the door in the faces of people for whom Yiddishkeit is like, y'all, did you know there's an entire Jewish civilization outside of potatoes in Eastern Europe? Um, So it's fraught for that way. And my hope is that our vibrant klezmer band and our use of Stiebel is a uh, a flag for us to continue um, bringing in Jewish voices from um, from around the world.
0: I wanted to ask, um, really, really simply, why why take the the challenge of, in a sense, creating your own job? Why your first year out of rabbinical <laughs> school not you know, apply to work for somebody else and something that already exists?
1: <laughs> because I like to make my life and the lives of the people I love difficult. Um, because the, the dream for Hinenu, um existed in, in my mind and heart before I started rabbinical school wow. um, and was something that was brewing in Baltimore before I got here. And so the, the need and the hunger for Hinenu necessitated starting it. Um, I was really informed by the anarchist collectives that I was living in in Boston, um, as well as worker co-ops and Kaplan's concept of a shul with a pool. Uh, and so when I came to Philly, um, bright-eyed and totally innocent and ready to start rabbinical school, um, I had a dream of a synagogue that was a community center meets organizing hub meets place for really good davening. And when I landed in Philly, I began working as the Torah school director for Colt Seddak in West Philadelphia. And that continued to shape this vision so that when it was time to graduate um about a year and a half before that, I looked around and thought about cities that I had connections in or new people in. Um to think about where this place could grow. And it turns out that people were in Baltimore meeting for radical to be sederim and showing up at one another's homes um, with chesed, uh, with loving kindness and, and food and care. And that the community was already starting to, to blossom. And so knew um, needed to exist with or without me, with or without Baltimore, it was going to be birthed somewhere. And I'm really glad that it ended up here.
0: So be, before we move forward, I want to move back for, for one second. I've known you yeah. for a while, and this is, this is the first time I've heard you mention living in an anarchist collective. Can you say something about that and how that prepared you for, for rabbinical school? It doesn't, it doesn't see, appear on like the typical rabbi resume, I, I think.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, anarchist organizing is, um, was my first stop after Jewish day school. So I went to Boston University, found myself with a bunch of anti-authoritarian and anarchist um, young people in Boston, and it sharpened my political analysis and understanding of how harm is both interpersonal and structural, um, and a concept around personal freedom that, um, though many of the anarchists that I first met wouldn't call it, um, is divine and not something that any human being has a right to to seize from another. Um, But we also have accountability for how we treat each other. So I think the concept of between a human being and God and between a human being and their friend um, feels very much aligned with how I think about liberation, personal freedom, um, and how our freedom actually can impact one another at certain points. And um, being in an anarchist collective for me meant going to bed early during the fundraiser, raising money for a local bail fund so that I could wake up at five in the morning and go teach religious school. Um, And like stepping over the Israeli anarchists who were sleeping on the couch. Um, But the, that space really shaped what I have come to know and continue to learn about interdependence and, um, and community building and how messy and painful and beautiful it can be.
0: Wow. So in your Evolve article, which is titled, Here We Are, Congregation Planning in Baltimore, you wrote that Hinenu has formed out of a desperate need for the shelter that one can offer another, um, which, I, which I found very powerful, and I was wondering if you could say just a little bit more about that.
1: There is something really profoundly lonely about moving through this world in this lifetime, there is something deeply isolating to wake up, get the kids ready for school, figure out what you're eating for lunch, go to work, come home, do it all over again. And um, we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about loneliness enough. Um, and the opportunity to speak frankly about our emotional realities, about our political and spiritual realities as a community, I see as one of the opportunities to bust through that loneliness and to replace it with or add to it interdependence. And so the the shelter that has formed that is forming at Hinenu I think for me, I knew it was really starting to take shape when I saw people who had only met through shul, who were 40 years apart in age, kiss each other on the cheek when they, when someone new came into services and I have the best vantage point because I'm up there at the shender, like noticing everything, um, and seeing people greet each other with just a joy that we made it to Shabbos again, thank God. And that I'm so glad you were here. Um, is, really exemplifies that shelter.
0: Another quote that, that really struck me was when you wrote, most of all, I see Hinenu as a place where we can nourish the Nishamo souls of organizers so they can go back out into the world and continue doing their work. So I guess I'm just going to ask, can you give some examples of how, how you're able to do that?
1: <laughs> uh, i can give you examples of how we try to do it to like, Fair Um, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is Ritual from Marge Piercy, where you name um, a political win and then you, or a political loss, and then you, um, as a group, go around and people can name what those losses were. And then as the collective, we read some poetry about this loss and how it won't shape us, but we must acknowledge it. And then, uh, we ask for political wins and people go around and shout them and we, um, are able to, to name that we can rejoice in them even if they're not for forever. So when thinking about the organizers who are a, one of the many different identities in our community, um, really making explicit that work is, is really important. Um, the, the sense that everyone in our congregation is cherished and needed and that there is hopefully something that might be meaningful for you personally and not just about what good you can do for others really matters. So over the high holidays, we, we try to do an Aliyah for caregivers and just like blessing the work of caregivers um, is another way that I think about nourishing the souls of our people. Um, making spaces that are beautiful and lush for all of us. We deserve lush spaces that are um, just like decadent in some ways and so nourishing the souls of our community means um having opportunities to feed each other and having opportunities to make beautiful art together and having opportunities to just be here
0: and we're we're talking about what 70 80 people at this at this point or
1: so our membership we have about 115 individual members and 85 families
0: so assuming at least some of these folks were people who were interested in, in, in Jewish community but hadn't found their space yet or, or were dissatisfied with their space. How did, how did you find them, or how did they find you, or how did everybody find each other? Is, is...
1: <laughs> well, we were all at Sinai, and then I just passed around a sign-up sheet. Um, so the, <laughs> I think my experience of it was in December 2016, I sent two text messages to people who lived or lived in Bal- had lived in Baltimore. And I said, do you need a radical synagogue? And they said, why don't you come down and meet us for coffee? And at the end of each coffee date, I would say, do you have people I should meet? Um, and so that built and built into 100 coffee dates in eight months. And friends then felt empowered to tell their friends and tell their friends. And so that initial community organizing, um, wherein... I would meet people, connect with them, hear their story, share mine, think about shared goals, and then they would they would then become a, a hub to do that work um, is really the, the basis of how Hinenu formed. Now we are an institution. Oh, my God, we're an institution <laughs> in the Baltimore world. Um, and that's actually very dis- Uh, destabilizing for many people in our community who are used to the Groucho marks. I don't want to be a part of any organization that would dare have me as a member. Um, And we are able to sort of be listed among the other congregations and the other organizations and have an institutional name to put on flyers and co-sponsor. And that also brings people in. And, as I said, there are so many amazing, delicious Jewish communities in Baltimore, and so we collaborate a lot um, and hope to do it more in the future and that also brings more folks in in that way.
0: I want to ask a question about space there's a lot been a lot of conversation about space in, in the Jewish community in, in recent years and, yeah. and in your in your piece, you, you refer back to the idea of the of the synagogue center and 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 shul with a pool that was popularized by by Mordecai Kaplan, the the architect of Reconstructionism, um, but clearly you're not you know you're not a mega synagogue with a shul you know with a pool at this point. You're you're you're, you're meeting which and I guess is is it sounds like rented space is is so I guess I'm I'm kind of wondering what you what you meant by emulating the synagogue center and do you, do you actually envision one day having, you know, having a big building?
1: So stable means little room in Yiddish. And I always envision Hinenu in a row house. We dive in in the living room. We cook gorgeous food in the back room. Our offices are upstairs. Like the dining room is a bateman trash. Fine. We've outgrown that. And I need to let go of that vision. Um, we do, a uh, Purim morning Megillah reading in my living room and we crammed 30 people in here and it was deeply uncomfortable. Um, we have more people than would fit in a row house, which is an amazing problem to have. So it is funny that the the smallness of Stiebel is actually no longer a possibility but the the warmth of um, a room that's multi-purpose, that you can do a lot of things in, you can dive in and you can learn in, you're welcome here, like that remains. We rent space from the awesome community at Homewood Friends, the Quakers, and uh, that is really our hub for our services and our events, and it's been really great because the the space is so gorgeous and is really, um, in that really traditional Quaker way, the walls are bare, there is an iconography, we bring in an ark, we bring in our Torah table, we bring in the Shenders and Um, transform it into a synagogue. All of my colleagues and mentors who have had to also become building and grounds, in addition to being clergy, um, say, don't be a fool. So let this be a record that I heard them and ignored them. So the the shul with the pool for Hinenu in my imagination is a shul with a multi-faith practice center is spaces for community healing. And it's places for, uh, for shelter, for, um, food and, and housing for folks who are experiencing housing instability, um, for people looking for, for shelter and protection. Religious institutions have the unique ability to be, um, sanctuaries for folks. And so I think that all religious institutions with a building need to be taking that responsibility seriously. So the, the need for a physical space matters to feel like there's a place for us to be safe and stable and comforted. And the the capacity for growth that a permanent space that is so multi-use in that way might offer our community like Hinenu, um is just so profound. So um, I'm hopeful that the generosity of our community, the communities we partner with, and some of the very clever listeners who are listening now might be inspired to help us build such a thing.
0: So I'm quoting, I'm quoting something you wrote again, not, not to be like Tim, <laughs> Tim Russert or Meet the Press, but searching for, <laughs> for, for precision. Um, you write, yeah. a significant portion of the people who come to Hinenu are deeply distraught about the Jewish community's silence at or complicity with the Israeli occupation of Palestinian territories. And a, a few sentences later, you conclude these people come to Hinenu to create a future in which the price for entry to passionate Jewish life is not blanket support for Israel. And I think what, I, what I'd like to know is how does this work in practice? And, and mm-hmm. do those who, who might not fit this description, is, is there a place for them at, at, uh, at Hinenu?
1: So I'll answer the second question first. Um, there is a space for everyone who is ready to be aligned with our community's values at Hinenu. Everyone is welcome. And I am eager for there to be a continued range of opinions within our congregation because it makes us stronger. It gives us an opportunity to live up to another one of our values, which is Maklokat Le Shem Shemayin, Dispute for the Sake of Heaven. Um, and our value statement, which is on our website, communitybaltsmore.org, values, is something I'm really proud of. Our community did a lot of really beautiful work there to talk about defining our lines because every congregation has them and also naming that an openness um, to discuss them is important. Um, so on lines, the majority of synagogues in the United States will pretty much without question identify a relationship with Israel as central to the experience of the congregation and every member of the congregation within it. Um, That is not true, obviously for those individual members of that synagogue necessarily. Like people are complex, we contain multitudes, we are nuanced political and spiritual beings that can level our own critiques. And so the that value is not actually reflective of, I think the growing number of American Jews who have been deeply hurt and concerned about what's happening in Israel-Palestine. So a bit of this is generational. I was born, sorry everyone, I was born in 1990 and um, was raised in a day school um, where Israel was not thought about twice um, beyond like support and relationship and growth. And I didn't live through a a time when Israel was being founded during the major wars. Like I know for many of the listeners of this podcast and people in our community, um, my story and my timeline has an experience of Israel-Palestine that is different than people who are like, I was there when it was founded. It meant something different. Which is why I say that the growing relationship and perspectives around Israel are shifting to, I believe, to the left. Um, and we need Jewish spaces where it's okay to have those opinions and still be allowed to be Jewish. So um, in my activism and my work, I have been called a self-hating Jew, I have been called a Kapo, I have been called a Nazi because I dare to ask about the ethical implications of um, how Jews in Israel are um, enacting military policy and that is complicated and that is really painful and that is not an uncommon story within our congregation so we have members in our show who are j street members who are um not members of anything who are members of jewish voice for peace who do if not now like there is a, a spread within that um, and there are people for whom they don't feel aligned with how israel Palestine is talked about at hinenu but still want to be in the community within our congregation we have members who have both explicitly and implicitly been asked to leave synagogues because of their political stance. And thinking really tangibly about what that means, that means that there are Jews who are being told by other Jews, we don't want you here to make a minion because we agree, disagree on a political issue. That causes so much pain and hurt. And there are so many brilliant, beautiful neshamas who need a place to bring their gifts that don't have that place. And like I'm saying about Ashul at the end of the world, I think that there is a growing tide of Jews who are really being asked on an ethical standpoint to think about the occupation and to think even before that and say, what does it mean to be a Jew in this time when what's happening and what has happened in Israel, Palestine has happened. And I want Hineno to be a place where we don't have all the answers, but we keep asking those questions. And when we talk about Israel, everyone in, in the large Jewish community, everyone sort of like gets really activated and loses their breath. And so we're building a muscle also to be able to talk about a painful personal and communal conversation without completely shutting down every time, which is a thing all of our communities, I think, we need to all grow in together.
0: I hear that. I guess I, I'd be concerned with painting our diverse communities across north america with with such a broad brush and i'm not i'm not sure that's what you'd intended although although um certainly wouldn't discount the experience of um of what what your members have have felt but i i mean i've seen a ra a big range in in just the communities i've encountered from sort of more the traditional un you know unquestioning attitude to one of more open criticism if not you know as 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 far left as perhaps um Would be represented at Hinenu and then actually I think maybe even a a bare majority now has gotten to the places where they where they just don't want to talk about it that it's that it's become I'm concerned about painting religious communities with, with, with a broad stroke but
1: 100 so and thanks for raising it because I think broadly whenever I talk about Hinenu within the rest of the the world there's this sense that we can say like oh it's so different and unique and separate Um, and revolutionary, and there is a universal element in asking questions in the way that our community does. And there are people in legacy synagogues uh, that have been around for a hundred years that are asking the same exact questions that hold the same exact beliefs and are in a community where what brings them together is not necessarily the things that bring people together at New. So um, that tone of like, oh, like, it is different because blah, blah. There is something unique and powerful about what we're building. And also, we are in the similar and same project as Jews across the country. And so that broad brush, I really appreciate wanting to put a, a finger on that. But I think that there is something unique in synagogues that are actually making space for people to be um progressive around Israel-Palestine. Um And that's really sad because, like you said, there are... You know, there are large numbers of people in synagogues that actually do feel aligned with talking about the occupation, but it's not happening. And I believe that what is happening in Israel Palestine is an ethical issue, a moral issue of our generation, of our generations collectively, and that to not talk about it is also a choice. And so if our synagogues cannot be a place where we talk about the pain, and the hope and the, the opportunity and the, the real teshuva that needs to happen, where is it gonna happen? Okay. And one more thing on that is just that um, we might want it to be true that people of lefty positions around racial justice, around Israel-Palestine, around LGBTQ inclusion are welcome but making it explicit actually changes things by not just saying you can be here if you have to, but by saying, we want you here. I think all of us can think about times in our lives when we felt tolerated and times when we felt passionately needed and wanted. And that is the tone that the tone shift. And for Jewish communities to be saying this, to have rabbis who will say this, to hire rabbis in other communities that will say this is new people that still lose their jobs talking about the occupation.
0: So I think we got to a, a clarifying, a clarifying space in this. Obviously we could, we could, uh, we could probably yeah. stay on this topic till, and it was really heartful oh, until we're <laughs> like both blue in the face. Um, so I think we have time for, uh, for, for one more question. This has been, this has been a great, uh, Great discussion, so hard to to put it to a stop. But um, I wanted to ask, um, on the Evolve website, uh, Rabbi Seth Goldstein, who, president of the the Reconstructionist Rabbinical Association, wrote, um, when I think of serving the Jewish people, it means that we as Reconstructionist rabbis embrace an unapologetic progressivism, total inclusivity, and radical egalitarianism. So how do you how do you relate to that statement? And is that how you see your work playing out at uh, Hinenu?
1: It's such a beautiful piece. And I agree with every word that Rabbi Seth said. I, I think that totally encompasses what we're creating. And there's, you know, um, Rabbi Deborah Waxman talks quite a bit about um, the optimism of Reconstructionism. Um, and I, that also feels imbued just like in the tone of how Rabbi Seth was talking about the inclusivity and egalitarianism and progressivism, those are exciting future reaching now, but also future reaching words. And I think that the the energy that is growing at Hinenu is one of optimism, is one of saying that yes, like full LGBTQ inclusion in our synagogues is not is was our starting point and now we're thinking about what's next. Egalitarianism is our starting point what are we growing into? Um, that the, the desire for progressive Jewish voices is so needed in this time around our world. And um, it's a need, and it's also an opportunity. And so um, to be a player in that, that mood of optimism feels very true. The ability to get stuck in, here's everything that's wrong with the world, Here's how I need to transform guilt into accountability, into action. Here's what's happening to my planet. Those are all really heavy, um, just like shoulder sagging things to talk about. And the thing that saves us time and time again is our calendar, is our tradition, is the joy of just being together singing. And that interplay between seeing the horrors of the world seeing the pain that human beings can cause each other with a bright future that we're dreaming of and working towards together. That's what saves us from getting stuck and the, the growth that is possible to do together, which is why we need both. We can't just sing and we can't just organize. We have to sing and organize at the same time.
0: Thank you. I, I enjoyed this, uh, this conversation, Rabbi Katz. Uh, I do hope, uh, we're, we're around to, to do this again sometime.
1: Thanks. And you and everyone listening is so welcome in Baltimore anytime.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much for listening in to our interview with Rabbi Ariana Katz. If you enjoyed the conversation, please be sure to read Katz's essay, Here We Are, Congregation Planting in Baltimore. What did you think about today's episode? We want to hear from you. Evolve is about curating meaningful conversations, and that includes you. Send us your questions, comments, feedback, whatever you got. You can reach us through the contact form on the show's website. Or heck, you can email me directly at bschwartzman at reconstructingjudaism.org. We'll be back next month with Rabbi Joshua Lesser to discuss his essay, Preparing Our Communities for Conversations on Race. Evolve! Groundbreaking Jewish Conversations is executive produced by Rabbi Jacob Staub and edited by Sam Wachs. Our theme song, "Yilufinu," was composed by Rabbi Miriam Margols. The show is a production of Reconstructing Judaism. I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman, and we'll see you next time. Oh,